forgot if the offering came up or not. <laughs> I was waiting for the doxology. <laughs> and somebody left me an origami turkey or chicken or something up here. It's a quail? Okay. I took my daughter and three of her friends up to go swimming in a place we have in the mountains. Uh, a membership in the mountains on Friday, and that's why I'm one of the reasons I'm so exhausted. Sixth grade girls can be just as rough and raw as boys, but then they turn to each other and talk about how pretty their eyes are and their hair. And it, it was just a... Well, anyways, we were back in the car, and one of them looked at the other one and said, I speak Turkish. Another one said, no, you don't. And she said, yes, I do. <laughs> Gobble like a turkey. So that just kind of that had nothing to do with nothing, but I saw that. Didn't know what it was. There are some things that I consider myself expert in. Um, you know, and as we age, those things that we have experiences in kind of grow and enlarge. And uh, like when you're arguing with your kid and you're trying to tell them, no, I've really been there and done that, and I have learned the outcome. I have some experience in those things. Well, one of the things that I now can impart knowledge on is, you know, 46 years of uh, naturalist study. I consider myself, I'm a master naturalist at a UGA uh, 1L School of Forestry, and, and things that I've just, that's one of my loves, to know stuff about nature and to cook. So when I was, gosh, I guess I was 28 years old and um, still a little bit too fearless for my own well-being, I was in one of my favorite trout streams that I'm not going to tell you where it is. <laughs> and um, I was down in a, a gully, uh, a very kind of a, a steep ravine where the where the creek ran through and not many people could ever get to. And I realized it was getting a little late in the day and I looked up and I thought, man, I gotta climb out of this thing to, to get, get home. And I, as I was going up the steep embankment, it was about an incline about like that, probably 200, 300 yards uh, uphill from the, where the stream was. I got to the top and I saw something I'd heard about but I'd never seen before. A copperhead in pink face. <laughs> I should have brought a picture just to see what your snake reactions would be. But anyways, um, snakes don't bother me at all. Um, and poisonous snakes don't bother me much either because if you leave them alone, they, they don't fool with you much at all. And um, it, it's just fascinating to see one in pink face. Most people don't realize that a copperhead can actually have uh, a pink coloring depending on how they shed their skin. So I had my trout rod with me and now the little fellow was about eye level with me just and I was down here just because of the the angle of the hill and I had my fishing pole and I was poking at it trying to get it so I could get a better look at it. It was curled just minding its own business and would have not even let me know it was there if I hadn't seen it. And, you know, I could tell I was irritating it a little bit, but I was studying it. No, I wanted to learn more about it because I'm an expert in those things, and I knew what it was going to do. And I 
Well, this was before cell phone cameras. We didn't have those when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I probably would have had a video, and then y'all would have seen that, what was about to happen, and laugh. Um, so I'm poking at it, and finally that thing decided it had enough of me, and it, now it's just a little bitty old copperhead. They can't jump further than their body length. That's all a myth, and, and I was a good five feet away from it with my pole, and that thing went thunk. Well, when, when a snake does that at you, your automatic reaction is to jump up and away. But when you're the expert, you don't think about that you're on an angle like that. And when you jump five feet backwards, it's actually 20 feet down. So I jump back, hit the ground, and roll a good 100 feet something. I'm just laying there out of breath going, and, and the thing was, the, the forest service road was only about 15 yards beyond where I was. And I thought, they ain't going to find me till the buzzards start circling. <laughs> I'm doomed because of my expertise. And after I got up and had to swallow my pride and, and um, you know, it caught my breath because it did, it knocked the... There was no wind left in me after that experience. I got up the hill, and, and there's the little fella still curled up, and he just kind of looked at me. And I went on around, and he followed me. You, I, I know they're not sentient beings, but it was almost like he was looking at me like, you're a fool. You better leave me alone. And I, I scampered up and went on up the hill. So one of the things I'm also expert in as in my ministry is I did a lot of study in the spiritual disciplines. Um, I've taught lessons on spiritual disciplines uh, since seminary. I, I followed da Dallas Willard and, and Richard Foster's celebration of discipline. And I really learned those books backwards and forwards. And, and sought out the scripture where spiritual discipline um, was talked about a lot. In, in the Sermon on the Mount and uh, Old Testament descriptions and, and some things in the epistles. And, and, I, and I learned it. Book knowledge, back and forth. What does prayer mean? What does fasting mean? What does celebration mean? What does study mean? What do all those things mean? And I could spit it out and tell you and tell you how to do it and teach lessons on it and bring you an experience of those spiritual disciplines in a retreat setting or in a church setting or in a worship setting. But expertise did not necessarily mean practice. Did not necessarily mean practice to understand it more than beyond just an exercise. I guess early on in my life, um, the church I was at, we, we kind of practiced Lent in the youth group as competitive fasting to see who could do it best. That was the thing, competitive 
fasting. What are you giving up for Lent? I don't know. What am I giving up for Lent? And then somewhere along the line, the, uh, the, the trend went from what are you giving up? What are you, you going to remove from your life to bringing something into your life? Well, what are you going to bring into your life? What are you going to do more in your life? And it was almost like we, we got into a competitive mode to see who could make it those 40 days without stuff. So there were things that I always tried to give up to see if I can fast from TV. One year I was fasting from TV and then the Gulf War broke out in the middle of Lent. And that was it. I had to watch what, what was going on. I couldn't, couldn't help it. Uh, and things that I had to fast from way back when, Desperate Housewives was one of those shows. Days of our lives. It was kind of funny. None of the men in my fam or none of the women in my family watched soap operas, but all the men got hooked on Days in Our Lives. And from what I understand, Bo and Hope and Stefano are still doing the same thing <laughs> that they were doing when I was a kid. Marlena and Raymond and whatever the rest of their names are. I knew it was bad when I started dreaming in Days of Our Lives characters. So faster from that. Well, one year I was going to competitively fast from red meat. Oh, I'm a red meat person. Oh, the rawer the better. My mouth is salivating now. <laughs> I cooked my kids the best venison backstrap last night and it was just glorious. Um, now I lost my train of thought. I got so hungry. <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, okay, so all sugars too. So no no sugars. And so that's corn syrup and all that other stuff that they say isn't sugar, it is sugar. Sugars and red meat, that's what I was giving up. Now, a glorious steak is one of my favorite things in the world. And something that transports me back to my childhood is an IBC root beer in a zero bar. You talk about, because that takes me back when my granddaddy would take me down to the general store at Unicoi State Park way back when, when nobody really knew where Unicoi was in the mid-1970s. It was the ends of the earth. So I get up, and in my Easter basket, my deceased wife had put in there a 20-ounce ribeye steak, a six-pack of IBC root beer, and some zero bars. So I go off, I do my, my four, five Sunday services, how many we had at Ackworth Methodist, and I get home, I fire up the grill, I'm ready to eat that thing, because, you know, I've been, been ready for it, and all everything's getting around, I've been fasting from all those things, I'd won the game. And I, I drink four of those root beers, eat a couple of the zero bars while I'm grilling the steak, and, and I go sit down and eat that steak with all that sugary um, steak sauce. It was a rough few days. <laughs> it was, and, 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 and we can laugh about it now. My body had adjusted to a cleaner state. And it didn't appreciate what I'd done to it. Couldn't think straight and necessarily got all this messed up and the fatigue set in and um, my secretary at the Aqua Church was a Long Island New Yorker and when she decided to get rough on you, 
So she insulted me for three or four days bad because I couldn't do nothing. I just come in the office. Ugh. So it was a competitive time. It wasn't necessary. Um, but as we, were, we mature, we learn more about the things that we think we're doing to do it for the right reasons. I mean, not, we're doing, we learn what we're doing that we think we're doing for the right reasons, but we're really doing it for the wrong reasons to impress. So I became an expert in fasting, learning about more of the depths of it, rather than just the knowledge of what it's supposed to mean. There's different types of, of fasting, and that's a, we, it's just going to be a glossing over. You've got the supernatural fast where you see uh, Moses and a few others doing this, where they literally go without food or water for 40 days. For some reason, 40 days is always a number. Um, you can't do that unless you really got the power of God because you'll dehydrate and die. So if you start dying during that, <laughs> God didn't call you to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of people that try. Oh, yeah, here's your sign. You, you in the ER, buddy. Um, then there are extended fasts where God is calling you to fast from uh, food and other items for a longer period of days, a food fast that, that can be done for spiritual and medical reasons. Um, there's medical reasons to fasting that are very beneficial. Um, but you've got to come enter into those and come off of them in, in a proper manner. You, you start shrinking your stomach, um, uh, changing your food habits so it doesn't hurt you as bad. And then, and then one of the things that I've always noticed in those um, when they're longer than three to four days, your body does start cleansing itself. And my wife wouldn't get anywhere near me. She didn't fast like I did, but um, because your body starts getting rid of toxins and your breath stinks, your body stinks, and you get into fog. But after your body adjusts to using your energy reserves in it, then, then you start feeling cleaner and more clear head as long as you keep your nutrients correct. Um, and then there's the Daniel fast that people use when, when they can't really fast from food. And then there's the fasting from things. But the purpose of the fast is not, um, not to see if you can do it, but to create a space where God can come in and change your life or communicate with you to hear, to silence the noise of those other things so God's voice can be heard. Because I believe God is continuously speaking to us. But it's the things out there that we indulge ourselves in that, that stop his voice from being audible to us whether it's a still small voice or even a thunderclap. Because you know sometimes you can't hear thunder clapping in the roar of other noise. Whether God's shouting or whispering, things we allow to drown him out. So it's meant to take away our earthly food so that we then can have spiritual food in our lives. So in a mix of, of 
the scriptures that we'll look at at the end of this message. During Lent is also to be a time of repentant reflection in the midst of that fasting. Now, when we hear the word repentance, in our culture, it also often contrives uh, an image of, of a very harsh, hard shell kind of tent revival meeting where you might imagine a John the Baptist type character screaming at us that we're all uh, vipers broods and, and we're going to get chopped down and thrown on the fire and you need to repent, 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 repent. So in our culture, it also often has a very harsh tone to it where we um, imagine that repentance is about avoiding the wrath of God. But in our English language, we never really convey um, convey what the original Greek or the original languages or the original cultures that, that the phrases that we use come out of. Like the Greeks have four different words for love. Uh, in English, we have one. I can say I love my mom and I love hot dogs in the same sentence. I mean two different things. I love my wife. I, uh, I, I love fishing. And they may not want to be compared in, in that mix. So the Greek word for that we use when we say repentance is really is metanoia. Metanoia, the change. And that word is more of a, conveys a meaning of a change of heart. To change your life, to, to set into motion things that will make a difference. Now, some images of that metanoia may happen very quick and, and very sudden. Others may be a gradual change. We, we see Paul's experience in the book of Acts of his repentance as something that happened very quickly. He gets knocked off of a horse with, um, with a lightning bolt, clap of thunder. Uh, he's blinded. The scales have to fall off his eyes before he... Uh, experiences God and then you see a different type of, of repentant experience like with Josiah and, and Joshua and, and the reformation of the temple the temple had been allowed to go into disrepair and Josiah um, had, had a good heart already and it was trying to go about just cleaning up the culture a little bit. Let's let's fix up the temple and put some money and some taxes into it, and and um, set Hilkiah the high priest in to clean up the treasury room. And they found the book of the law. The books of Moses had been kind of discarded and ignored, and instead of a, a massive change like Paul had experienced, Josiah institutes reforms and kind of sets the community, the, the Hebrews, into a, into a life-changing path to intentionally change the way that they behave by following the laws of God.
repented. They metanoid. They decided to encounter God. So, fasting and repenting. Fasting is, is meant to give you an experience where God can come into your life, and you got to remove the competitiveness out of it. So it's not meant to be a long, long. It's meant to be uh, working in in conjunction with other disciplines. Fasting is not meant just to be the means to the ends itself. Fasting for spiritual purposes is not any good unless you're praying, unless you're studying, sometimes coming together as a group to do that, to fast corporately or by yourself. But you are meant to engage in other activities, other disciplines, to, to hear the word of God. Perhaps one of the greatest repentant experiences that then leads to some education about fasting is Isaiah's repented experience in Isaiah chapter 6 where, where Isaiah says, Oh, in the year of King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and all these spiritual beings came out and God was flowing out from the center of the temple and, and one of those... Um, uh, one of the cherubim came down with a, a hot coal from the altar and touched his lip, and Isaiah's screaming, Oh, no, don't touch me, don't touch me, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm an unclean man. Literally repenting at that, and God and, and his lips are touched by that hot coal from the altar, and his life changes. Now, Isaiah, of course, we think of as a prophet, which he was, uh, but most of the time when we think of prophets in our minds, we think of a John the Baptist kind of character or an Amos the sheep herder. Usually our prophets are in our heads are guys that come out of the wilderness and, and act all kind of weird. Isaiah wasn't. Isaiah had access to the king of the temple. Uh, he was a well-educated and um, probably wealthy man. Later dropped in a hollow tree stump and sawed in half, but that's a whole other story. But he wasn't the wily sheep herder type um, guy that crawled out of the wilderness. And here he was repenting to encounter God. And perhaps one of the greatest um, discourses on fasting and repentance comes from Isaiah chapter 58. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. So this is their transgression, which he's about to say. Yet they seek me daily, and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness, and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgment. They delight to draw near God. And they look up and say, Why have we fasted and you see it not, O Lord? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers, says the Lord. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. 
Is this the fast then I choose? A day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? This is the fast I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth from the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. This is a direct, um, the direct foundation to what you see in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus addresses the Pharisees fasting. He says, don't go out in public and, and moan and groan about your hunger and just putting on a show for fasting, but instead make yourself presentable. And don't tell anybody what you're doing, except for the people that need to know in case you pass out. <laughs> but let this be my fast. Let this be my fast. But you are really fasting to encounter me, to make a change, to metanoia for the poor, for the needy, for the homeless, for the thirsty, to metanoia for that. That's the fast that I so desire. We see it in Nicodemus, a very respected and wealthy man who comes and encounters Christ, and Christ says, you must be born again to metanoia, to change. We see it in the woman at the well who is at the bottom of societal levels. You know, Jesus would get up in the, in the morning in the first century and pray, I thank God that I am not uh, a Samaritan, a dog, or a woman. And she was a prostitute with many husbands coming to the well by herself so she wouldn't have to have ridicule. And there's Jesus who says, I've got water to drink that make you'll, you'll never thirst again. And she goes off and tells everybody that she has metanoia. This man has changed my life. I now no longer thirst. So Isaiah, that man who once had everything, access to kings, probably the richest foods and wines and drinks and shelter and everything that he needed, learned that there is no earthly indulgence that can make a difference. Or you stand up to the spiritual food that the Lord provides. So hear now the word of God from Isaiah chapter 55. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. 
come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast sure love for David. Behold, I made a witness to the people. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you do not know shall run to you, because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked metanoia his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let them return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. Most holy and gracious God, as we approach you this morning at your altar, and in worship and in prayer, Help us to hear the words of of the ultimate repenter, David, who cried out in his psalm, purge me with the hyssop that I might be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O God, that I might return to the joy of your salvation. 